all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, the sun is shining. It is definitely warm outside. School is winding down. It doesn't quite feel like that all the time if you've got teenagers like I do. But summer is almost here. What are some of the things that could possibly derail all that fun that your family has planned? Today we'll be discussing how you can have a safe summer. And as usual, we'll be taking your questions and comments. We would love to hear from you today with anything that's been burning on your mind, any of those questions about the health of you or your family. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 672 or if you can't uh, quite get to the phone and you want to send us an email you can send it to kids at mpbonline.org beautiful weather this week uh getting a little rain here in central mississippi off and on not quite at my house but i did water yesterday when i got home so it will rain uh, the day after. That's the pattern. Uh, definitely follows all the time. Uh, you know, summer, it's it's a time that uh, transition times, and you've heard us say here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, transition times are some of those times when kids go nuts. Uh, they've had a pattern in their life. All children and adolescents love patterns. They may not act like it, but generally speaking, they really like the same routine over and over again. And uh, once you get to a transition point, man, they are looking for every way they can to uh, to bust out of the normal routine. But it's important to finish strong. That's that's our. Uh, that's our motto in the Stewart household, finish strong, finish strong um, with school and other things. But there's a lot of things that can uh, can happen in those transitions, particularly as we move into summer. And there are some seasonal activities that certainly carry some risk. And we're all about risk reduction here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. So anyway, we can help you reduce the risk of you. Uh, having to go to the ER or an acute care clinic if you're on the beach or uh, even if you're at home, uh, you know, during the summertime, if we can uh, try to not do that and try to point you in the right direction of staying safe, that is all the better. I did want to mention one thing that's going on in town today. So uh, we've got the uh, Surgeon General of the United States that's here in Jackson at uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center. You're probably going to see something in the news if you check that out later in the day uh, or online. Um, he is uh, actually one of his um, uh, platforms is uh, the opioid crisis, and certainly we have a lot of problems in Mississippi. We unfortunately are in the top 10 of states that sort of lead the nation in uh, opioid problems. Uh, not a big problem with kids and teens, but certainly with adults and families that are dealing with this. Uh, it's a big issue, and it's a complex issue of one that uh, – 
There's not a whole lot of solutions. There's some good movement in that direction, and there's some ways that we can curb that. But uh, he's in town today to try to talk about that at the medical center and uh, a lot of news media. I know the Governor Bryant's there as well. Uh, so check that out on the news. And uh, if you don't know about that opioid crisis, check it out. It's, you can check it out on the uh, U.S. government's website. Just Google uh, Surgeon General, uh, U.S. Surgeon General Opioid Crisis and uh, find out more information because it's uh, something that can sneak up on you. And you may, if you're an adult, uh, you may with uh, different medications around surgeries or for acute pain, you may want to question that. Don't just, uh, you know, if your physician uh, gives you an opioid uh, medication or narcotic medication is another name for them, you may want to question whether that's the best thing uh, for you. Because I, I can tell you, if it's me and I'm having something even as simple as a tooth extraction or a root canal, uh, I might, uh, you know, I might think twice about that just because of the data that's out there of the risk uh, with these medications. They're not benign medications by any means. So summer is here. All the things that can happen in the house. Um, you know, one of the biggest things, particularly with smaller kids, when they go through this transition is they're at home a whole lot more. And uh, kids can stay home. If you've got a kid uh, somewhere between the ages of 10 and 14, you know, depending on the individual situation, where you live, the responsibilities that that child has, they may be spending hours, perhaps, you know, while you're at work, uh, a good part of the day at home by themselves. And that gives them a lot more access to things. Um, and structure, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the ways you can keep them busy. But there are some things you have to think about that they can get into. So, you know, appropriate supervision is probably one of the biggest topics that we can talk about with childhood safety during summer. Um, you know, if you have a child that's five or six years old, an eight-year-old may not be the best supervisor for them while they're uh, they're at home. I know a lot of families don't have a lot of options, but you need to at least think about that so that they have the appropriate supervision. If they're older, they may not need direct supervision. Uh, they may, uh, you know, have some indirect supervision. Older children and adolescents, though, if they are uh, staying by themselves at home, I would make sure that you have somewhere, we used to have this on the wall, a list of uh, numbers that they can call or have it if they've got a cell phone, they've got a smartphone, make sure they're plugged in there. Um, certainly a lot of improvements in cell phone technology nowadays. I know Apple's pushed real hard to have emergency uh, numbers that are readily available on the phone. However, it's always a good idea to have that local numbers, who to call, uh, you know, neighbors numbers if they need those, if there's a problem uh, who are going to be home. Make sure that they have access to that uh, if they need it, because that can mean the, you know, the difference between them having a delay in treatment or care if it's an emergency where they may not can uh, can get to somebody or somebody can't get to them. We're talking about summer safety today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. You can join the conversation and uh, let us know what kind of burning health questions you're having about your family by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So I had a visit from a, a family. We were just coming in for a sports physical. This is about the time for sports physicals in uh, pediatric clinics. And uh, they said, you know, what can we do? I sort of brought this topic up, and they said, what about the different things that kids get into in the home? What are some of the things that we see in the pediatric ER or in our clinics that cause the most problems, particularly with younger kids? And uh, that's a 
excellent question uh, that I thought, well, that would be a good thing to talk about on uh, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens as well. There are lots of chemicals and uh, possible poisons uh, that we see. That's one of the most common uh, things that uh, they come into the ER. And again, when they have access to those, there's more chance of doing that. So household cleaners are one that, that shows up a lot. And there are different ones. Some of them are sort of ammonia-based. Some of them are more caustic. Uh, certainly, if they go down the drain, that's probably the worst ones because you don't necessarily see the symptoms of those, uh, even though they're doing damage like you do in some other ones. The biggest thing here is put all those cleaners up where kids, particularly young kids, can't get to them. And I know everybody has probably seen by this point, it's died down in the news, but uh, six months, a year ago, you know, the big craze was uh, uh, adolescents who will try anything and do anything uh, were having these little uh, packets that you use to wash clothes and uh, sort of daring each other to eat those. And uh, certainly not, uh, it's not designed to do that. It doesn't clean you out. There's other things that do that. Uh, And, uh, you know, just anything like that, it needs to be up and out of the way. Doesn't, doesn't need to be left out. Because it's summertime, and we have, uh, you know, lots of Problems that go along with that in the South, certainly insects are one. Uh, Insecticides are a big one, particularly if you live in rural areas. You may have that. uh, You may have a small garden or a large garden that you use insecticides. Those can be extremely dangerous and can have neurologic effects on kids. Um, A lot of them you don't have to eat. Uh, or drink, uh, you can just get them on your skin and they can be absorbed. So those are some things to watch out for. If you do have that, it's good to know what to do. If there's an insecticide that you're using that your child uh, maybe is playing around with the bottle and spills it on their skin or clothes or ingest it, uh, the biggest thing, number one, is to try to get those clothes that the child is wearing that has the insecticide on it off of them uh, to wash it off the skin. Even if you're going to go straight to the ER, you don't want to wait about that. That. Uh, you want to take a, a few minutes to do that um, and then take them straight away to get checked out. Just because they don't have symptoms right then, they may be absorbing that into their body. And it certainly can have some depression of their drive, their, like their respiratory drive, uh, their breathing apparatus that they normally would have. And some of them can have some other effects on heart rate and blood pressure. So, But getting the clothes off um, and, uh, and washing them down right quick in the shower uh, before you bring them in can be, can be beneficial so that they're not continuing to absorb that uh, through their skin. Alcohol is a big one. Uh, So not just the cleansing alcohols, but uh, alcohols that adults ingest. Uh, If you're going to have kids at home, make sure those are up. That's always a good good, uh, good, uh, adage to have at your house, a good rule to have. And, you know, again, adolescents are going to do more stuff because they're risk takers. They're pushing the boundaries. That's just the way they're wired. Um, Always, not just in the summertime, it's good to have those things up and out of the way so that they can't have access to it. Uh, We don't have a lot, but we do have a fair number of alcohol poisonings um, and uh, intoxications. Uh, and certainly it's, it's not a good idea. You know, once somebody gets intoxicated, think of all the other things that they do too. Uh, and just think about your kids with all the access to things in the house that they might have. Firearms we've talked about on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Uh, certainly in Mississippi, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who have firearms. Uh, just make sure that they're locked up, that they're uh, unloaded, that you have uh, the uh, ammunition, you have it stored uh, separately. 
in a different uh, different place would even be better. Uh, so I can't tell you the, the few times I've had to directly um, uh, talk to families who've undergone this uh, this trauma of having uh, their kid uh, who accidentally shot themselves or somebody else uh, or a death in a family that's due to that. It, man, it is just traumatic, and it is not worth it uh, to leave those firearms out. Um, certainly make your home safe if you have those uh, by locking those up out of the way uh, and not just put up, but locked up is better so that they don't have access to it. Um, and then the final one is the most common one, that's medication. So lots of different medications, not necessarily for kids, but for adults. Some kids stay with grandma or grandpa or other people, uh, aunt, uncle, uh, during the summertime, um, if nobody's available to take care of them. And medications uh, need to be put up. They don't need to be out. A lot of older patients have pill boxes, which are easier to get into. They don't have those child locks on them that they'll be sort of loaded up for the week. And a lot of those adult medications, you know, it's, it's they are unsafe for kids. Uh, and if you take a lot of them, of course, you can have a lot of negative side effects. So put those medications up if your child is going to be at home uh, or if they're not, just put them up. Uh, height has nothing to do with it. I've seen 18-month-olds that can get 10 feet up in the air, climb cabinets. They're like cats. They can just latch on to things and do things. It's amazing. Like, if you've caught them doing that, I've, I remember my youngest when he was about 18 months, and we caught him with no fear climbing up the walls, literally. Um, you know, they can they can get to things. And it always helps. I tell families once they get their, uh, their toddler to an age where they can be mobile, get down on their level and just look uh, and see the things that they can get into. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about summer safety issues today, but we've got lots of time for you to call in with your questions that you might have about the health of your family. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about summer safety tips. That's right, summer's almost here. Got a few more days or weeks of school left, and uh, let me tell you who needs a continual shout-out. We uh, we honored them last week and appreciated them, but they need it right now, and they're at the end of their tenure for the uh, for the year. That's teachers. I mean, they, are, they need all the help they can get. This would be an excellent time to send them an email right now and say, hey, thank you for what you're doing with my child. Stick with it. 
Um, we are for you. I hope you have a good summer. They would love to hear that. That's uh, always something that they enjoy. The number to call today, if you have a question or a comment about any topic that's affecting the health of your child or your family, is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Got an email here from Beverly in Byram, Mississippi, uh, down my way. I actually live uh, just a little bit south of there, grew up there, went to high school at Byram uh, High School, uh, which is no longer there. It's sad. You can walk through the Walmarts where I used to run track and play sports. So sometimes I just get the urge to go run through the store Uh <laughs> just for old times. So I don't think they would appreciate that too much. So Beverly and Byram has this to, to ask or, or to comment. My kids, boys and girls, play a lot of ba- baseball and softball through the summertime. Since they're getting close to that time, I'm curious about a couple of things. What do you look out for to not overwork them with tons of games? And secondly, what signs do I look for to keep them from getting burned out? Ah, that's a great question, Beverly. So, you know, I, I actually I was looking at a local college, uh, Bellhaven. Actually, I was looking on their website, and for uh, it's interesting about conditioning. We know a lot of a lot of more information about what's healthy, particularly for kids as they're growing up. And it is true that you have cycles of conditioning. In other words, you can't just train, 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 or play, 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 play. If you look at Olympic athletes and what they do, even at that top level of competition uh, or the professional leagues in in different sports, uh, they have these cycles so that you have you play hard, you train hard toward a certain goal, a certain time period, and then you back off. That's important. The body heals that way. It gets stronger that way. That's the way muscles work. Um, So you don't want to just be going, 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 going. The other big thing we see with uh, student athletes and uh, kids and adolescents is that they do need a period of rest, and they certainly need rest at night. I know it's challenging during the school sometime if they have night games, uh, if they're traveling. Travel ball for baseball, softball, and soccer are probably the ones that eat up the most time. Uh, make sure that they're getting rest. I know that's difficult to do with some team schedules. It may even You may even want to have a, a conversation with the coach or leverage your physician to do that um, because they're going to play better if they have rest. So those are the, some of the things I would – I would have conversations with with my kids and say, what are the things, what are your goals for this summer? If they're unrealistic goals, if they want to play four sports all summer long with travel ball, that's that's probably not a good thing. Uh, One sport certainly is better than than two. And maybe think about the other things that they want to do. I know my kids, we have discussions about, you know, they want to go to the beach. Well, if you go to the beach, can you participate in the sport? So let's just think, and it's okay, it's just about priorities. There's no data to suggest that if your child, even if they're at the top level in their game as a middle child, uh, middle schooler, or if they're uh, in adolescence, there's no data to suggest that doing more of those activities is going to help them progress to the next level in college or professional levels. I don't know how many times I've heard parents say that, and there's absolutely no data. Actually, particularly if you talk about pitching, you can do a whole lot of damage. That You look at the pitchers, and Jay White's the expert on this, you look at the, uh, at the professional pitchers in, in professional baseball, look at what they did as a child. Almost none of them 
did that where they were pitch. In fact, a lot of them were not pitchers. Uh, and you know, there's only so much that that motion with your with your arm and your shoulder, and particularly at the elbow and shoulder joints, that it can take. I would be very careful with pitch counts. Uh, and you got to make sure that the team is keeping up with that. And it's not just what happens on the field. It's also what happens in practice um, because you can, you can overuse that. So those are big things. Vary it. Make it fun. That's what is most important about your child. Uh, you know, you think about why they're doing these experiences. Probably 1% of everybody that participates in high school sports is going to move on to college or to professional uh, sports levels. Um, make it worthwhile for the reasons that are that are most important for the 99%, which is having fun, getting out there and having activities, learning if they're in a team sport, learning about the, the value of that. Lots of good things about sports, but they may need some time off, and that's fine. That is fine. Uh, and, I, you know, I had this conversation with my oldest uh, child who's, uh, you know, a junior in high school, um, uh, one state in the 800 meters in track. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, I told him, hey, it's it's great to take some time off, let yourself heal, and uh, you'll be better for it. So thanks, Beverly, for that question uh, on email. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about summer safety and other things. Um, the number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or, or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Mark in Tupelo, who has a question, I believe, about opioids. Good morning, Mark. Yes, sir. I, uh, I have had about five, maybe six sets of kidney stones, and I am just cur- curious. The next set I get when I go to the ER, if I'm going to get enough pain reliever of the appropriate kind to be able to survive my kidney stone. You're yeah. really getting wore out with a kidney stone. It really takes a substantial amount of, of, of painkiller. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's a great question, Mark. Now, you know, if we talk about how opioids are used for pain control, uh, you know, for legitimate reasons, there are reasons why you might use an opioid. I think the data is out there that it does in certain situations. The problem is when we give amounts that are above and beyond either time-wise or total dose-wise, um, it, the, the recommendations, if you look at them, you know, both on the on the state website and nationally, the, the, the CDC actually has some great information on this that you can go to and sort of look at what their recommendations are. Uh, so it has to do with that time period and the total dose. So there are some situations where pain is intense. Kidney stones are one of those. I have never had a kidney stone. I've treated plenty of adults with kidney stones. Every adult has told me without fail it's the worst pain that they've ever had in their life. Um, there's not too many other conditions that cause that level of pain, and you cannot get – I can almost spot somebody in the ER with, with kidney stones because of how they yeah. just look. Yeah, so, the last time I went in, they were really nice. They, uh, Of course, they do all the P-tests and everything to make sure it's something else. But, I mean, it was obvious. They went ahead and started the pain reliever prior to getting all those back. I asked them, too, but, you know, you, you know it was just yeah, – it, it was obvious. So, right. It's, it's not a – When you've had a kidney stone or two, you – 
just about know it, you know. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's pretty reproducible, you know, it, per, from person to person. They can sort of tell. Um, so, so again, it's about how much you give them. And you want, if you're, if you're prescribing a pain medication for pain, doctors do uh, they sort of follow some guidelines. You want the, the, the adequate amount of pain control, but you don't want more than that. So you don't oh, want course. somebody knocked yeah. out or anything. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you don't need a 30-day supply for kidney stones. That's, you need to go see that's exactly right. That's so, my next point. So. You might need three or four days. You know, and, to, and Mark, that's actually that's actually the guideline. So, uh, yeah. So you're going to have you know physicians are going to give you anywhere from three to seven days, depending on what you look at. And for kidney stones, that's about all you need. I would, uh, you know, I know you know this, Mark, but others may not. That treating kidney stones, one of the best things you can do is figure out why you're having it and try to prevent them in the first place. Uh, yeah. And that, that's not easy. I know a lot of people I, have them recurrent. Um, yeah, they. they promise you if you'll drink a gallon of lemonade a day you won't get one but crap <laughs> drink a gallon of lemonade that's I, a lot isn't the it first, the first week or two you can but then yeah it's, it's, that's tough hey mark have they have they uh have you captured one of those stones and have yeah, they I've analyzed it yeah the, the typical calcium oscillation yeah that's the most common and yeah, the very common one yeah. um yeah. so there and there are i don't know if they've treated you there are a couple of medications that can that can potentially help i haven't really found them to be that helpful uh, you know, Flomax is one of those to try to, you know, to, to get rid of it yeah, a little bit no. faster. Yeah. I can't remember. It's been about three years now since I had one. But uh-huh. interesting, I had it, I knew it, Friday night. But Saturday morning, I was supposed to leave on a cruise. And so I was really concerned, yeah. you know, would my, cru- would my cruise doctor be giving me, you know, if, if it, but, but he, you know, three or four days was, yeah, and that was plenty. So yeah, I, was I don't say, think I, just, I don't think that's going to change, Mark. I think that's probably going to be because because there know. there are some conditions just like yours that do require that. Um, okay. One other thing, you know, I, and I'm sure it sounds like they've done everything. Your physician's done everything. To look for it. There are other other systemic conditions that may predispose you to kidney stones. So if they haven't looked for that, there's some disorders of uh, calcium. I think so yeah, they probably have, but that you know. I think so. Yeah, I've had a urologist for quite a while, and uh, they're, they're going to know what to do. Twenty-year period, yes. Yeah, good deal. Well, you oh, you're welcome. And uh, hey, hats off to all you people out there with that are having that uh, kidney stones. That's uh, not something you want to go through. Uh, but as far as opioids go, it's the the legitimate use of those is what we're looking for, and not an overuse. And uh, It's certainly a big issue in our society today. So thanks, Mark, for that. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, continue our discussion about some things you can do to make this summer a healthy one. And also a couple of emails that we received uh, in the last few minutes. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, we've been talking about summer safety and a couple other things. 
lots of time for you to call in. As usual, we love to hear your questions about the health of either yourself or your family. So you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email. Got a lot of emails today. Our email address is kids at mpbonline.org. Here's an email, an actual email in front of us in my fingers. So this is uh, from a caller who says, uh, or listener who says, I've had type 2 diabetes for a number of years. So uh, I was filling in for Dr. Rick yesterday. We were talking about several different things. There's a couple of different types of diabetes for everyone who doesn't know it. Type 2 is probably the most common, uh, usually in adults. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's associated with a number of things. Type one uh, is when you don't have enough insulin. So it's uh, usually it's an autoimmune disease where your pancreas stops producing insulin. And it usually um, it usually occurs in the young. So kids, teenagers, sometimes early adults. Uh, but you need insulin for that one. Type 2 diabetes is the much more common one, and you don't necessarily need insulin. So here's the question. So I've had type 2 diabetes for a number of years. I deal with it through diet and exercise. In parentheses, I'd rather swallow rat poison than try metformin a fourth time. My exercise routine is to ride my bicycle 11 miles several times a week, which is five or six days in good weather, stopping to shop along the way, of course. Uh, Because I live in Oxford, and again, in parentheses, the center of all wisdom, I get plenty of uh, aerobic action climbing the hills around here. Goodness knows there's hills in Oxford. Uh, I check my blood sugar every time I return from biking on days when I don't eat before I go out. It seems to be about 20 units higher than on days when I eat breakfast first. I'm not sure it's a causal relationship, though, because of the confounding variable of whether I've taken a day or two off or whether instead it might be the third, fourth, or fifth day in a row that I've been riding. Can you shed some light on this? Uh, Great show, by the way, and thank you for your time. So uh, type 2 diabetes actually was given a um, doing a CME presentation um, earlier this week, and we were talking about diabetes and talking about exercise. Uh, most people do jump uh, to medication on that, but, um, you know, you really need a lot of a lot of uh, info on how what the importance of exercise is in the treatment of diabetes and in the um in the prevention of diabetes. There was a study uh, about 10 years ago now in the New New England Journal of Medicine. And what they were trying to find out is how powerful is exercise in preventing diabetes or treating diabetes. So what they did is they used a common medication. Our um, uh, email uh, listener said that it was metformin is what they had tried. That's probably one of the common ones. It is effective, does have some side effects, but uh, usually they're tolerable. Um, head-to-head, exercise versus metformin, and surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, exercise one out. And it's the kind of exercise that uh, that uh, we just mentioned. So you have to have moderate to, to vigorous activity um, most days of the week, uh, at least 150 minutes of that a week. Um, and that can help. Uh, it can be even more powerful than taking a medication. Now, <clears throat> diabetes does weird things. So it is very dependent upon activity and what you eat. And it may be counterintuitive sometimes that if you don't eat and you exercise, 
that your blood sugar may go up or down. Everybody's a little different. Generally speaking, the normal thing is if you exercise, it's going to go down because of the effect of it. But it may have something to do with the types of foods that you're eating. And I'm sure that you've probably, uh, that our, our email writer has probably looked into that. Seeing a dietitian is probably one of the best things you can do if you have type 2 diabetes uh, because it can give you an idea of how diet affects diabetes. I don't. There's not really a diabetic diet. We used to say that, you know, there's a diabetic diet. That's not really the, the case anymore. It's about knowing how that food is affecting your blood sugar and then what you need to do to modify that. Uh, so you can, you can eat just about anything with diabetes, but you have to do it in the right kind of way. And, of course, you want to be eating a healthy diet. So... I would start off with a diary with a log of how much your your mileage is when you're doing it and what you eat, not just when you eat. So if you're eating something that has a nice long uh, glucose effect, so that has a the the term is a low glycemic index. That's going to be good for that bike ride, number one. And what you may be doing is you may be swinging up and then swinging down. You may have swings in your in your blood sugar, uh, and that may be the cause. And sometimes time of day has a lot to do with it, too. A lot of times we'll see patients that have uh, either low or high blood sugars at different times of the day. But knowing how your body reacts to it is probably the best thing to do. So I would try to, to keep up with that mileage-wise and sort of see uh, see what happens. And then talk to a dietitian about it and say, you know, the type, particularly the types of food that you're eating. It, it, when it comes down to all that, if you've got done all those things and you're still having problems, really, if you know... Um, that most days that you don't eat in the morning and uh, and bike ride, that it's going to go higher. Just eat. Just get you something to eat. Go with go with your body's natural rhythms and how it reacts to different things. But it can be frustrating. Um, patients um, bring this in a lot of times. My patients with type two diabetes, and we'll have to sort of uh, work it out. But I would say first thing is talk to a dietitian if you haven't, and try to um, try to figure out what's going on. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about summer safety and other issues today. If you have a question about the health of your children or family or yourself, you can call us at one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Charles in Clinton, Mississippi. Good morning, Charles. Hey, good morning. I'm I'm a retired ophthalmologist, and I just want to make a couple of comments about uh, eye safety for kids during the summer. Absolutely, uh, that's a great topic. Yeah, yeah. One is uh, if they're playing baseball, there are face guarded uh, baseball helmets. If their team is not using one, go get one yourself. Um, it's a shame for a kid to get an uh, eye injury or a blowout fracture from having the ball hit them in the face. Um, and that's a simple thing. And if they don't have them and can't find one, you know, we used to send kids to um, uh, just the local sports store and getting a uh, racquetball protector. All of these are made out of a material. The, the trade name is Lexan polycarbonate. Mm-hmm. You're right. probably familiar with it. And I always put in a word for these. Well, let me just say one thing about baseball. They don't realize that these 12 to 14-year-olds can throw a baseball at about 70 miles an hour. 
Yeah, um, it's that's much a, faster than people think. Yeah, it is. And it's a projectile that uh, if it hits you, as you said, that's probably one of the more vul- – I've actually, at a baseball game, I hadn't had any eye injuries, thank goodness, but I've, you know, uh, facial injuries, uh, certainly, you know, the, the protective equipment that you get can help uh, at least decrease the risk of that. But you're right, it, that's, that's, a, that's a projectile coming at you really fast, and it has a lot of force. And it, it can ruin their love of the sport down the road if they get hurt early. Sure. Um, the only other thing I want to say is some sort of eye protection if the kids are learning to mow the yard or if they're watching their fathers or mothers for that regard, using anything that rotates at high speed, weed eaters, uh, bench grinders, that sort of thing, please wear eye protection because it's so easy to get a penetrating eye injury from even something small. So that's all I wanted to put in, and, uh, and I think it's a great program. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. Yeah, eye protection, all kinds of protection. Uh, you know, that need to to think about what they're going to be doing, and it's you know, kids are not going to want to do that, and they're going to have some pushback if they want to help out, as uh, Charles said, if they're doing things that's appropriate for their age level. Uh, but you do want to make sure that you're you have uh, a lot of safety gear on. Uh, I have seen, you know, uh, kids, uh, older kids and, uh, well, adolescents mostly that are helping with weed eating in the yard or trimming, uh, doing it barefoot. Not a good idea. You need some uh, shoe protection on, too. So appreciate that comment, Charles. And uh, that's some great advice from uh, from ophthalmologists because he's probably seen it and treated it. Let's go to D in McNeil, Mississippi. Good morning, D. Good morning. Where is McNeil. Uh, between Poplarville and Picayune. Oh, I know where that is. Yeah, I have a good friend uh-huh. of mine that's down in that area. Yeah, Pearl River County. Yeah. What you got for us this morning, Dee? Uh, a general question. Uh, what would a bystander do to help a child who has been locked in a hot car uh, other than call 911? Is there anything a bystander <clears throat> can do to help that child? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. So this is this is uh, you know something that we see unfortunately in Mississippi. Usually once or twice a year, it ends up in the news. Um, cars can get extremely hot, as Dee just mentioned. So if you leave a child in there, um, you know, uh, number one, there's a lot of danger in that. Not just with the heat, but that's probably the biggest one in the summertime. Uh, the temperature in a car with the windows up can get in excess of 120 degrees, particularly for younger kids. They don't have the same mechanisms by which they can um, regulate their body temperature, um, so they're not able to deal with that. Even for short periods of time, this can be extremely dangerous, and as I said, we have deaths from this uh, from time to time. So if you see that, the first thing is to get that kid out of that car. Uh, so notifying the emergency officials, um, you know, ambulance is fine, but there may be police, uh, fire, um, you know, fire firemen that can uh, come over there and get them out, um, of the car. If they're locked in, they can get the door unlocked. They can, you know, if it were my child in the car and that happened, uh, I, you know, smashing the window, you've got to be careful about that. Make sure you got people who know what they're doing uh, and not the window that's directly next to the child. Uh, but getting them out of the car is a priority. That's the first thing. The other thing is getting them to a cool place. Um, and, and um, you know, a cool, the best thing to decrease body temperature uh, is to, 
you know, if you can uh, get the clothes that are on them off of them or to put like cool clothing that's been soaked in cool water, uh, that helps with evaporative losses. So that's that's good to, to help them. Uh, but notifying those emergency officials is probably the biggest thing. And it's not just about getting them to the hospital. It's about um, getting them out of the vehicle uh, quicker. So anybody that can they can do that in a safe manner, it would help if they are police or firemen, if they've been trained to do this, and they are trained to do that. Um, you know, try to get somebody that can get them out in a quick manner, um, and then into the shade while they're waiting to be uh, to be um, assessed for what needs to happen next. So, uh, D, that's a great thing to bring up. That's certainly something that you need to be on the watch for. You know, I'm a physician. I look for this kind of stuff. If I'm out coming in, you know, if I'm in Walmart uh, in Byram and I'm walking out to the parking lot, I'm actually looking. And uh, pets too. I mean, that's you know, we it's kids and teens, but you got to think about pets, dogs. Uh, can't uh, and cats they don't really uh, regulate their temperature that way particularly dogs so um, you know they they can uh, be just as damaged by that but um, does that that sort of answer your question d oh it it actually it extends my question because uh, just your hints about uh, getting them in a cool place and and cooling their clothes down i've seen many people overheat on the roadway yeah. Uh, from cutting grass and whatnot, so that could probably help them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you are outside or if your kid's outside, make sure that they have, I was going to mention this earlier, make sure that they have access to water um, it, for about an hour of activity. And it's tough in Mississippi in the south. You know, I, I've done marathon training in the summer from time to time, and uh, it, you, you just about can't keep up with the evaporative losses that you have, even if you run early in the morning. Um, but but having access to water, you know, when I was growing up, we went to the water spigot and we turned that on and, man, we drank a lot of water during the summertime. Um, but if you wait, if you wait till you feel it, uh, you know, if you're thirsty, that's really you're behind on it. So having access if they're going to be outside or if you're working outside, make sure you, you have some water that's available uh, so that you don't you can at least keep up with it. Um, right. You know, if you're an adult, want to be fancy about it. Weight is probably one of the best things to do. I'm, you know, and then I'm a medical nerd. So uh, if I'm going to be outside for hours at a time on the weekend, uh, mowing my yard or, or trimming something or working in the garden, uh, I'm going to I weigh myself beforehand and then I weigh myself afterwards. And I know how much to drink based on that. Right. That's a good idea. Yep. Well, thank you for your help. And I do appreciate you and your program. Oh, thank you, D. We appreciate that question. All righty. Bye bye. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about summer safety. We've got a couple more tips uh, that we have time for right after this break, but we've got a time for your questions because they take priority. one mpb ring is the number to call. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or give us an email at uh, kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about summer safety and other issues this morning. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Going to try to get in. Uh, we've got uh, two or three callers here at the end, uh, about seven, six, six and a half minutes left. So we're going to try to get to everybody that we can. Let's go to Eric and, oh, wait, we're waiting to get everybody set up. I jumped the gun. Eric and Meridian. Good morning, Eric. Are you there, Eric? Hold on just a second, Eric. All right, Eric. Hey, thanks for calling. What's your uh, question or comment? Well, I have two comments about uh, kids in hot cars. Um, One, I've seen it done when a kid got locked in the car accidentally by their parents when they were just unloading things and shut the door and like, oh, my God, my kid's in there. And they had a GM vehicle. And any GM OnStar equipped vehicle, whether the owner is subscribing to the OnStar service or not, the owner can call in. OnStar will verify their uh, information. And then OnStar always has a link to that car. And OnStar can unlock it remotely. Oh, that's great. So uh, rather than breaking a window or waiting for... Yeah, got to gotta have OnStar, I guess, though. So if you don't well, have OnStar, you might be up creek. The other thing is I drive a Honda Accord hybrid. Uh-huh. And when we're traveling, what I can do is, especially if we've got our two dogs and we're going into a restaurant or something, I will leave the car on with the air conditioning on and lock the car with the key on the outside from the driver's door. So the dogs have air conditioning. They're safe, they're secure, but the engine doesn't always run. It shuts off. Right. So um, people need to, maybe before breaking a window, consider if it's a hybrid and whether the animals are safe. I've actually taken to leaving a note on my car saying that it's a hybrid, the air conditioning's on, here's my name and phone number. Uh, that way anybody who's concerned is more than welcome to give me a call rather than breaking my windows. That's some great advice, Eric. And uh, certainly, you know, uh, you know, if you have kids, uh, take them in with you. I mean, I wouldn't leave them in the car at all. Uh, pets, uh, use your best judgment, but those are some great tips that Eric gave us. Let's go to Sharon in New Albany. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Did you have a comment? Uh, just a brief comment sure. about water sports, um, not just swimming pools, but we have a lot of beautiful lakes and rivers in Mississippi and a lot of water skiing, fishing. And we used to do that with our family and other families with children in life jackets and rules associated with getting in the water or in a boat. We were just adamant, and the great thing was every family adopted these same rules. So I just, you know, there's no excuse for anyone drowning. Um, no, not at all. Just simple rules and simple guidelines. Right. Everybody needs a life jacket. Uh, Got to have that on. You want to make sure, that, you know, if you're water skiing or if you're uh, – if you're, you know, you're towing, I can't think of the name of it now. Um, 
If you're towing anybody behind a watercraft, there we go, tubing, thank you. So if you're doing that, making sure you have a spotter back there, uh, you know, if there's problems, uh, one person needs to be driving the boat, one person needs to be spotting. All those safety things, you want to make sure you're doing that. If you're in the ocean, a lot of people go to the beach, make sure that, you know, younger kids, even older kids, buddy system, nobody goes out alone. Don't let them uh, swim late at night, early in the morning. we got a lot of sharks out there, too. I think regular listeners know my aversion to sharks. Um, So think about all those kinds of things. But you're exactly right. Safety first. Safety first. You can't say that enough because it only takes, you know, one slip up with that. And then you have ruined a vacation and somebody's health has put at risk. So exactly. Thank you, Sharon, for that uh, for that comment. And uh, certainly water sports or, you know, and activities are something that we uh, see a lot in Mississippi. And thankfully, we have access to Uh, last caller. Let's go to Jackie and Jackson, who has a question about swimmers here, I believe. Jackie. Yes. Hey, Um, the home remedy for uh, a solution that you put in in children's ears after they've been swimming. Does that really work? Is it alcohol, rubbing alcohol? Is it vinegar? What is it that's the home remedy? All of those. uh, Yeah, you can. (laughs) So there's a lot of them out there. And there's two reasons. The alcohol, what people think is, well, that dries out the ear. Well, that may be the truth or not. Best thing is to get the water out. And you can use everything from mechanical, uh, you know, just putting the ear over and sort of shaking up and down a little bit um, and can get most of the water out. You don't want to insert anything into that ear. You can use some cotton, uh, you know, as a wick, but you don't want to put anything like a Q-tip down in there because you can force water into it further or do some damage. Now, the liquids that you use, there's a couple of these over the counter that you use after swimming that you mentioned that have various Uh things in them. The alcohol is thought to dry out the ear, but if you have water in there, mechanically try to get that out first and then use the, the, the alcohol based drops. Vinegar, it has to do with the pH in the ear canal. So there's a certain pH that's a measurement of, of acidity uh, that you use. Uh, and and, and it, the ear likes to have uh, the, the vinegar has more to do with that. Acetic acid is probably a better one. And some of the over-the-counter and prescription ones have that. Um, if they develop swimmer's ear, I would not use either one of those because it's probably not going to do uh, a good enough job of getting the infection out. Uh, then you need to see a physician. They need to look in the ear. If they see something that looks infected and it's on the outside, if it's in the canal between the outside and the, the eardrum, they can use an antibiotic drop, and that should that should clear up the infection. Uh, but I would use mechanical means first, just sort of, you know, putting your head. I'm trying to do it on air, and you can't see me. Uh, to put your <laughs> ear down and sort of shaking a little bit, you know, to get the water out. And then you can use those eardrops. It's certainly not going to hurt anything. The one caveat with that would be if they have uh, tubes in their ears. So um, that's something to, to think about. So, thank you very much. Sure, thanks for calling, Jackie. Hey, we had one. I just want to say, Suzanne call or sent an email about um, an English teacher in Georgia that uh, students came forward with incredible stories of her caring uh, a seventh grader who had been bullied, caring for a seventh grader that had been bullied, and uh, she was she was his only friend. Mrs. Crow, I believe, was her name. So I wanted to put that out there. And hey, thanks for that. Tell your teachers how much you appreciate them. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, which is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.
This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 